Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Vinexpo Paris cancelled. Next event will be in February 2022. Delhi government in India lowers legal drinking age to 21. U.S. importers struggling due to tariffs, COVID, and demand. And as ever, our wine of the week. Well, Katie, we'll begin with our week in wine. An exciting day for you, wasn't it? It really was. I got my first shot of the Pfizer vaccine. Following on from me, because I didn't die last week, so you're convinced that you should get it. I had to observe a little bit. I mean, I always like to, you know, see what I'm dealing with before I dive in. And annoyingly, um, I got a sore arm after having my vaccine, because that is a natural consequence of having a needle stuck into your arm. But you haven't even got that. Perhaps pain is my friend. But an indication that California is getting back to some kind of normal. We know lots of people have had at least the first shot of the vaccine, and quite a few have had their second. And it's reported today that the US in general has been 150 million vaccine shots that have been distributed and um, used. I was in Napa today, and it seemed pretty busy, quite touristy. And there were reports in the uh, local Napa newspaper that uh, restaurants and bars and hotels and tasting rooms are actually beginning to panic because they're not quite prepared for all the tourists that are going to come in. And so they're desperately looking for workers after a year of having to lay people off or putting them on furlough. Now all of a sudden they need them all back. Yes, I believe June is slated to have all tiers of restrictions removed, which... uh, For me, I I tend to be quite pessimistic in these cases, so I will believe it when I see it. It goes to show that I think people are quite optimistic. Yes, and it was quite weird seeing all the tourists just milling about, as in the old days. Obviously not as busy as it used to be, but still fairly busy. And so if, as you say, everything goes to plan, and we don't know if that will be the case... Um, things look like they'll be um, quite open quite soon. So if you like crowds, <laughs> then these these could be good times. If you don't like crowds, then um, the solitude of the last year will be um, sorely missed. Poor Matthew. Your ideal world just shattered. Yes, but hopefully uh, travel will be open. Although vaccines, as I'm going to discuss um, over the course of this episode, have not been uh, distributed quite as efficiently or as quickly as they have been here. So before we get into that news, um, also just a little more on the weekend wine is April Fools. So April 1st, uh, I think that was last Thursday, wasn't it? Came out with some actually pretty good jokes from the wine industry. We were quite impressed. Uh, The first one came through from Instagram. So Kermit Lynch posted a bottle of canned rosé from Bandol producer Domaine Tempier. I think from the get-go, most people knew that this was a joke. I don't think all of them did. Uh, Judging from the comments, some of them completely got it, and others um, did not. They were like, oh my god, the world has ended. Uh, just for the context, Domaine Tempier is one of the most legendary producers in Bandol, which is in Provence, and they make rosé, which costs about $50 a bottle, if not more. And I was fooled for about 10 seconds, because I was just like, they have canned their rosé, because <laughs> the picture is very convincing. And I thought, wow, this canned trend, which I've been dismissing somewhat, has uh, really dug deep and now rosé from one of the best producers in the world is being uh, put in a can but then as scrolling through the comments it's like oh yeah it's the first of april Mm. they did a good job i'm not always a fan of april fools but this one was quite 
convincing and quite funny. They did do a good job. It's true. And uh, another article that I came across was on Wine Searcher uh, reporting that the French government were planning to protect grape names so no other country could use them. For example, Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, all of these grapes that are wildly planted around the world, and we would no longer be able to use them. And Chardonnay as well. I think that was the big one. <laughs> and again, the the secret to a good April Fool's joke, which is why they're so rarely good, is that it has to be convincing for an, a short period of time. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of the thing that the French government would do. You can't use Chardonnay. We invented it. It's ours. Can't use it. And I won't name names, but I do know that um, there were some quite, you know, important organizations that actually did believe this uh, Wine Searcher article for a split second, at least enough to do some some background research uh, to have to put out some fires if need be. Well, rename Prosecco as another grape variety and then create a region revolving around that grape variety. Maybe it's not so far a stretch to just suddenly call Burgundy Chardonnay and say no one else can use that name. And just following on from last week's uh, pod, where we talked about Troth Cabernet Sauvignon from Washington, a really good new launch, which um, Katie is helping to work with, um, you helped organise a webinar featuring that wine, but also Jamie Araujo of Achendo Cellars here in Napa, and Virginia Wilcock from Vas Felix in Western Australia. So quite a stellar lineup and an interesting discussion on Cabernet Sauvignon. It was interesting. Uh, we we had so much to talk about that uh, we well, went well over our one hour allocated webinar. Um, and we have the webinar recording. So if any of our listeners are interested to hear the conversation, uh, we'll go ahead and put the link in the show notes so you can look and listen. Well worth listening to a winning combination of really interesting people and of course talking about great wine and really important regions too so educational but fun and now on with the news In news that comes as a shock to absolutely no one Vinexpo Paris has been cancelled and will now take place in February of 2022 It had already been moved back to the end of June in the hope that the event would be able to go ahead with attendees in person. And as the rollout of the vaccine has been slow in Europe with particular problems in France, it was deemed impossible for the event to go ahead as planned in June. However, the organizers said that they are planning an ambitious digital event in June. This news follows the recent cancellations of both Provine and Vinitaly. So no surprise there, Uh, just another global wine trade fair that bites the dust. And, you know, this goes along with my pessimism about all of these in-person affairs. I I think we're better off sort of biding our time and keeping things virtual. It's it's been working for the last few months, and I think it will continue to work until we can really get the vaccine rolled out uh, sufficiently in countries around the world so that one day we will be able to meet again in person. The Delhi government in India has reduced the legal drinking age to 21 in the state as part of an overall move to address widespread bootlegging. 
Laws on alcohol vary from state to state across the country, with six states dry. In reducing the drinking age to 21 from 25, Delhi joins six other states, while four remain at 25. There are another four where the age limit is 18, another where it's 23. These hotchpotch rules reflect the confused and confusing approach to alcohol across the country, which the Delhi government is attempting to address in its own state. The government will also no longer run state-owned liquor stores. Although no more new stores are allowed to open, the existing 850 government-run stores will now be privately owned. It's estimated that 50% of all alcohol sold in India is bootleg. By creating new, legally organised and private stores, the Delhi government hopes that the sale of alcohol will be more controlled and easier to monitor, as well as bringing in more taxes. The news was welcomed by multinational companies such as Diageo and Peno Ricard, who called India a must-win market. There are 1.38 billion people in India, with a growing middle class and a young, po- young population who will benefit from the reduced age limit in Delhi. 50% of Indians are below 25 and 65% below 35. Although the immediate beneficiaries of greater and more secure access will be the affluent middle-aged middle class, the growing young population is set to benefit in the long term. So again, millennials for the win. Uh, So my question here is in the state-owned liquor stores and the move towards privatization in these liquor stores and how that will actually benefit in terms of taxes? The state, I'm saying. Well, if 50% of all alcohol is bootleg, there's no taxes. And so if there is more control and people actually go into liquor stores and buying wine, beer and um, spirits, then the government actually benefits. I imagine there's quite a lot of corruption in these government-run stores where the alcohol just gets diverted and doesn't actually get to the store. And so it's just a more controlled, legally organised system and actually having some um, kind of control over the system. And that also goes into the drinking age um, because at 25, if you're going to drink, but you're not legally able to, where are you going to get the alcohol? You're going to have to buy it illegally. And so now that it's 21, which is the same as the state, still a little too high for my liking, but better than 25, then that age range of 21 to 25, where there are people kind of learning to drink and enjoying drinking, can now do so legally. So they didn't do the good old shoulder tap routine where you just uh, tap the the person standing outside the liquor store and ask them to buy you booze? I'm sure there were lots of uh, underhand ways of getting hold of the alcohol. But this is um, an interesting development because India is obviously a huge market which is changing and with an, um, an emerging middle class and this really young generation coming through. And you mentioned millennials. Well, 25 years old is no longer a millennial. It's into the next generation. And so um, really making sure that they get part of that kind of um, affluent up-and-coming markets and having big companies uh, work with them becomes an established part of this generation, the next generation, and the generation after. And so this is a huge market that these companies want to break into, and this is going to make it easier. The pod reported on the temporary lifting of tariffs, a suspension which was due to last four months as the EU and U.S. governments negotiate to end the trade war standoffs, that, the pod thought, could only be a good thing. But it has led to massive demand for wine that importers are struggling to meet. 
First of all, orders are being placed to ensure the wine comes back in before the tariff suspension is lifted. But there is a global shipping crisis, which has seen a huge backlog of containers trying to offload goods. This means that although importers may have ordered the wine, it remains at sea, and they have to pay for cooling the wine for the extra period it remains on the boat. Alternatively, the demand for containers means that once they dock, they simply unload and then head back to Europe, leaving the importer the logistical nightmare of efficiently transporting the wine. This has all been exacerbated by the dual combination of COVID and tariffs, which meant that imports were down in 2020, so companies don't have the revenue that they would have to deal with these delayed imports, nor the stock to meet increased demand. Importers are doing their best to adapt to a challenging situation, but we may have to wait a little while longer for our favorite wines to arrive into the USA. And this has really been felt close to home as, Matthew, you've been struggling with orders as importer distributors uh, haven't had the wines and it's that are still in transit. That's right. You place an order assuming that it's, especially when it's a popular wine, that it's going to be in stock. And it just isn't coming into the country because it's stuck at sea or it's stuck in ports or docks. And so what's happening is... First of all, the importer or the distributor doesn't have access to wine that they thought they were going to, but also the wine they did have sells out really, really quickly. Everyone's having to think on their feet. My rep at Martins, I had an issue with that because I ordered some Prosecco and it was just stuck at sea and there's nothing that could be done about it. I think they also had a problem with Niport, which is a port producer. And then our friend Clemence Lelage Peugeot, her wine was stuck in New York. It got delayed in the first place. She thought it was going to be here on a certain date, but it was it just wasn't being distributed in New York. So they have such a backlog of uh, wine to deal with. And she actually said she was tempted to drive all the way to New York to get the wine herself and bring it all the way over. And so there's a lot of um, issues here. And so we're all having to kind of think about how much wine to order for the future. But the more wine you order first of all that means the more stock you have but then that creates issues for the distributors and importers because they're um, selling out of wine very very quickly and so it's all a bit of a catch-22 and so hopefully over the next few months this will be resolved if the tariffs remain um, lifted and if um, covid becomes less of an issue but there is going to be this interesting situation where people are really really going to want to drink out And will there be wine available to satisfy that demand? And now for our wine of the week, Katie, which is? So this wine is from a producer that's near and dear to my heart, Chateau de Moulinavant. And this is the Couvent de Touran from the Cru Moulinavant in Beaujolais and from the vintage 2018. And we had this wine over Easter. We had lots of good wine over Easter, but this one really stood out, partly because it's what, as you say, it's one of our favourites, but also because it paired perfectly with the lamb, which we had on Sunday afternoon. Just um, just went well with all the different flavours of the different dishes, particularly the lamb. Yes, and the different dishes that we had that you mentioned, uh, asparagus, scalloped potatoes, bread, butter, All of the things, uh, this wine really stood up uh, across the board, which you would expect from a wine that's 100% gamay. Right, and the lamb was, um, you know, quite meaty and fatty, but the Beaujolais, this Beaujolais in particular, really uh, stood up to those um, kind of strong, meaty flavours. Just giving an example of how versatile Beaujolais is. 
So what do we know about this producer, Katie? Chateau du Moulin Avon. So to give you a little bit of context about the name, so the name of this wine is Cuvantatoran, and that was actually the name of the producer uh, from the start, and Cuvantatoran translates to convent of Toran in French, obviously. And later on, the the producer decided to actually change their name to Chateau de Moulin-Avant, uh, to relate to the name of the crew, which is Moulin Avant. And the reason being is that there is a windmill that actually uh, sits in the this estate's, this particular estate's uh, vineyards. And that's why the crew is called Moulin Avant, because Moulin Avant translates to windmill. So they have some wonderful pictures uh, in their repertoire, um, just very iconic and doing some great wines. And, and the Cuvant de Toron is sort of their entry level. They do have some single vineyard, uh, 100% Gamay wines. Uh, but the Cuvant de Toron is sort of a callback to that original name of the chateau. And it, it's great because it comes in at a price about $25 to $30. Uh, it's available now at Whole Foods uh, here in California. So kind of a, a regional retailer here, but it's just widely distributed. So this is one, you know, Moulin Avant, at least here in the U.S., uh, from this particular crew, it's there's not a ton of representation from different producers. So it's nice to see at least one wine that's getting really great distribution. I think slowly but surely Beaujolais is becoming more confident in the quality of its product and more confident in promoting the quality of that product and in and knowing that people are actually going to listen. And so it's quite exciting that this is available in a fairly major um, grocery store, Whole Foods, though generally a, a quality one. But I'm seeing more and more Beaujolais out there. As you say, you can't always find every crew. It's not that difficult to find good Beaujolais, whereas I think five years ago it probably was. Well, here's to having more Beaujolais more readily available because we know for a fact this is a very food-friendly wine and one that you always want at your table. And one that appeals to lovers of Pinot, but also drinkers who don't like too much tannin in their wine. It just hits a lot of spots. And this is a perfect example of that. Cheers to that. So thank you for listening. We will catch you back here next week on Wednesday. We'll be back in your feed with another wind-up. In the meantime, we invite you to rate and review us, as always. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any comments or questions or anything of the like, uh, we'd love to hear the feedback. Uh, As we always say, we're always trying to improve. And we'd like to hear from you and hear what you want to hear from us. And we'll try not to drink too much Beaujolais always a challenge to resist it. Cheerio! Mm -hmm.